just thank you for the privilege of getting to read your word and talk about you and the privilege of getting to be together with your church. And God, I just pray that this morning you would just, again, open our eyes to see the beauty and the wonder of your son and to be amazed by his, his love for us. And God, that you would just fill us with this overwhelming sense of joy that we get to know him. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what it is that you've done make, so that you could make us this family. And God, I just pray that you would continue to grow us and build us into that family. I pray for the, the kids as they're getting ready to learn about your son. They're going to learn more about the gospel. They're going to learn more about who you are. And I just pray that you would continue to um, ground them in the truth of your word. I pray that you'll be with the, those who love the kids and desire to work with the kids, that you'll give them the right words to say, the right answers to questions as kids have them. And God, I just want to pray for those of us who aren't here this morning um, because we feel when our family isn't here. We feel those gaps where parts of the body are missing. And God, I just want to pray for everybody who's not here this morning, wherever it is that they are. Um, I pray that you would be alive and real to them and that you would uh, fill them up with your Holy Spirit, wherever it is that they are, so that they can, they can demonstrate their love for you in the way that you have already demonstrated your love for them. God, I just pray this morning that you would, again, just, just send your Holy Spirit into this place to work in our hearts to cause us to love you more deeply and be more grateful for what it is um, that you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You can go ahead and start turning to Philippians chapter 2. It's a little cold back in the kids' room. We're working on it. That actually is true. We're hoping to get some extra heat back there really soon. In addition to that, we're going to go sign the contract on Monday. They're going to come replace a bunch of doors in this place that are like leaky and gappy and stuff. We're really excited that, that God's, again, provided a way for us to be able to do that. Um, so that'll help a lot with heating and air and that sort of thing too. So you're in Philippians chapter 2. Last week we started a new series where we're just going to go through what we as CRC believe. And we started with God the Father. And we talked about all these kind of big ideas and things that are true of Him. We just kind of worked through, I feel like I read just about half the Bible last week. Or at least I read from half the books it felt like. So we were kind of all over the place. We're going to be a little bit more focused this week as we talk about Jesus and what and what and who Jesus is and what we believe about Jesus. Some of the specifics. It's still going to feel a little bit techy. Like I, I, I said last week, I felt like I was more lecturing in a theology class than I was delivering a sermon at some points. But I think this is important stuff for us to know, and it's in the Bible for us to know because we need to know who Jesus is. We need to know. Um, what it is that we believe about him, because there are a lot of things out there where it's tempting to stray from what the Bible says is true about Jesus. 
to make it make sense in our brains for whatever reason, or, or because we're not comfortable with the idea of Jesus as he, as he was when he was here on earth. So we're going we're gonna to look at kind of the second person of the Trinity. I, we didn't talk a lot about the idea of the Trinity last week, mainly because I'm terrified of talking about the idea of the Trinity because it's really hard to understand unless you ask my kid who's like, no, it makes perfect sense. There's one God and there's three persons. He's got Father, Son, Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Cool. I'm glad you got that. Because as I was studying it, there were, there were longer lists about here are the analogies that don't work for the Trinity than helpful analogies. Um, so I'm not going to give you analogies. I'm not going to talk about the different types of ways that water can look or the different parts of an egg or all of these things that we have all probably heard at some point, or at least most of us. Um, because, because there are a lot more ways that those things can confuse us and get us off track. Um, so I am going to give you a couple of things that aren't true about the Trinity just to start off today. There have been a bunch of different kind of ideas for ways to explain the Trinity throughout the church age since Jesus ascended back into heaven to be with God the Father before he comes back and returns to us. Um, and I'm just going to give you a couple of these real quick because I want to establish that these are not things that we believe. Um, so the first things, the things that we don't believe are that, that the Trinity is not modalism. I'll explain what that is in just a second. We don't believe in Arianism, which I'll explain what that is in just a second. And we don't believe in tritheism. And I just wanted to get in all of the fancy words right up front so that I sounded really smart. So when I say modalism, I mean that when, when, when Jesus came to earth, it wasn't that God the Father transformed himself and became something different. And then when Jesus left, it wasn't that Jesus transformed and became the Holy Spirit that now dwells within us. And that it's the one God who kind of changed along the way. I, I, I warned Tiff that I was going to use this analogy and she's going to roll her eyes. Um, so I hadn't been playing video games much anymore. And then we got a Switch for Ellie for Christmas. And so I got Zelda for myself. First, I realized that I'm not good at video games anymore. Like, it's a whole lot harder to play video games when you haven't played video games. But, but in all of these boss fights in the Zelda game, I'm like, okay, I'm going to beat this. I figured out how to beat it. And then I'm, I'm shooting them with arrows, or I'm hitting them with my sword, and then they get halfway down, and they're almost dead. I'm like, all right, I figured out how to beat this boss. And then there's inevitably phase two. The boss changes, or the circumstances change, and now you have to face something different that now I, don't, I have to figure out how to beat this boss all over again. That's not what happened with God. There's not like, like God version 1.0, God version 2.0 is Jesus, and now we've got God version 3.0 in the Holy Spirit. That's not what happened. We really believe that there are three distinct persons within God, and they are all actively playing a role as God. That Jesus is not the Father, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit. There, it's, not that they just, it's not that they just changed versions um, when I said that we don't believe in Arianism, there was this theory that kind of came up right after Jesus ascended into heaven that, that Jesus wasn't fully human. He was still kind of God-ish. And he, came, he was God-ish, but he kind of represented looking like a human. That way he could still be God. And that, that Jesus wasn't, wasn't really flesh and blood human. And we're going to talk a lot about that here in just a few minutes because I think that's probably one of the most important pieces of who Jesus was that we believe. So, so we don't believe that Jesus came down as some sort of spirit that kind of looked like a human just to kind of convince us that he was here. 
He was really a human, and we're going to really talk about that in just a minute. And I said, we don't believe in tritheism. We don't believe in three gods. We don't believe that there are three separate gods, and we, all, and we worship them all equally. We believe in one God. I get this from Deuteronomy 6, 4, which says, and I think it's up there, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. It's going to be there, I promise. There it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Like, we believe in one God with three distinct parts, but one, one God. This is, this, is, this is monotheism, folks. This is not like we believe in a bunch of different things. This is one entity with three distinct parts. Uh, I, I, I've, I've, I didn't used to love this analogy, but the more I look at it in Scripture, it's the, it's the, best, it's the best thing that I can see kind of representing um, how we understand this, and that's you take, you take the idea of marriage, where you have two, two distinct people, but once you become married, what, what is it that the Bible says? What God has joined together, let no one separate. They, they, he, took, he took Adam and Eve, and, and they became one, right? Two distinct individuals with distinct purposes, distinct roles, that sort of thing. But, but when you look at a marriage relationship, that is, that is one unit. And that's an incomplete analogy. It's not a perfect analogy, but I think that's a great picture of, of kind of what the Trinity kind of represents. That it's this, it's one God with distinct parts within it. But we, we worship God as one God. But today we're talking specifically about Jesus. Um, so we're in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, I'm just going to, this is my favorite passage to talk about what it meant when Jesus came here. So we'll probably come back to it again at the end. I, I just love this passage. It's Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 5, and this just kind of talks about what it meant for Jesus to be here. So Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a serpent, serpent, sorry, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So here's the first thing, and we're going to kind of use this passage as kind of our structure as we go through, because I think there are three big points that I want to make about who Jesus is. The first is that he was fully God, 100% God, every bit, every bit God as God the Father. So all of those attributes that we talked about last week, love and grace and wrath and mercy and and, and omniscient and omnipotent and all of those fancy big, big words that we talked about are equally true of who Jesus is. Jesus was in heaven. He was God. He was just like God. He was with God. If you want a little bit more scripture to kind of support that idea, uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word. That's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
So what John is trying to say here and what uh, Paul was saying in Philippians at the very beginning is that he was very much God. He's up in heaven. He's with God. He's been there forever. He is eternal, just like God the Father. The Bible calls him God. He demonstrated while on earth, he demonstrated his deity. He demonstrated that he was God through the miracles that he performed, through the, through the wisdom that he was able to demonstrate. He was able to say, I am God. I am. He calls himself, I am. In the same way that God described himself as, I am. So Jesus was 100% God. He didn't, he didn't come down here and stop being God. He came down here and remained God. He was also, and this, is the, and this is where a lot of these misinterpretations of the Trinity come together, he was also fully man, fully human. So what does, that, what does that mean? What does that look like? It says in Philippians chapter 2, in, you don't have to try to find it again, Dad. It just says, um, and being found, sorry, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. So, so he, he humbled himself and became like us, right? He, 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 didn't, he didn't stop being God and start being human. He, he, as God, added humanity to himself. He was, he was limited by a human body. He was no longer everywhere. He was limited by a human mind. Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and man. Like, when he was a kid, he still had to learn to walk. When he was a kid, he still learned how to speak. He wasn't born as a baby immediately spouting off all of this knowledge about everything and describing eternity from ages past. Right? He allowed himself to be limited to a human form. He had to, he, he had, he, this sounds, I, I hate saying this because it sounds like I'm limiting Jesus. He had to learn, he had to study, he had to, he had to be in the word and all of these things. Yeah, he had kind of a supernatural understanding of who he was. I mean, we see, we see when he was still a child that he was able to teach in the synagogue and say all these things that nobody had ever heard somebody say as eloquently before. But at the same time, he still allowed himself to be kind of held back and limited so that he could have a similar human experience to what we have, which is what we're going to talk about in just a second. He also had a human set of emotions, right? He, there are many times, like, he had friends that died and he cried because they were dead. He, had, he, he, felt, he felt broken over his people, when he was coming back to Jerusalem near the end of his life, and he sees Jerusalem off in the distance, and he breaks down and says, I hate that these people don't know and love and serve God. And I hate what they're going through. He, he, he felt happy. He felt sad. He felt, he felt joy. He felt all of those things that we feel. He got hungry. Like, that doesn't seem like a big deal thing, but... But when we read about Jesus being tempted out in the wilderness, it said, he went 40 days without eating, and at the end of 40 days, he was hungry. Which seems like a very small way of describing how I would probably feel. I get really grumpy after, like, missing one meal. And he's gone 40 days, he hasn't eaten, and he's hungry. But that's how humans feel. God, up in heaven, does not feel hungry. 
He's allowing himself to be uncomfortable because he's taking on all of this humanity, all of this, all of this finite things, these things that we have to do to survive. He needs to drink water. He needs to eat food. He was limited in that he needed those things. We read last week about how God doesn't need us. Like He's like, I don't, I don't come to you when I need something. I don't say, hey, I'm hungry. I need, to, I need some food. Or I'm going to do this. Like, I need... Jesus now, by, by limiting himself and becoming like us, needed things to survive. He needed food. He needed water. This is a big deal idea for Jesus to come down and become fully human. But, but why, why was Jesus' humanity necessary? This is the big idea. Why did it matter? Why, why couldn't, why did he have to become fully human? Why couldn't he just remain God? Why, what, what was the purpose behind Jesus having to come down as a human? First, because he needed to replace Adam by living a sinless life. Romans chapter 5, verse 19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. What that's saying is, because, because of the sin of Adam, we're all now born into sin. I'm not going to get too far ahead and get into theology of man. That's for Caleb. But, but we, we, are, we are dead in our sins. And without, and without a, a replacement for Adam, we are left without hope. And Jesus had to come as a man to replace that first man who broke everything. Because of sin by the first man, we needed a new man to come along who could live a sinless life. This is an important thing. Jesus didn't, didn't come in and, and also take on our, our brokenness. He didn't come in and take on our sinfulness. He came in as the only one who could complete a sinless life to replace Adam. So it was necessary that Jesus would come fully human so that he could replace Adam by living a sinless life and then serve as our substitutive sacrifice so that he could become the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? All through the Old Testament, we have this picture of you have sin, there must be death to pay for that sin, Right Immediately after the fall, what's the first thing that God does for Adam and Eve? He goes, he kills an animal, and he makes them clothes to wear. What, what is, the, what is the, the crux of the Old Testament um, priesthood? What is their main job? They are there to deal with the sacrifice. They are there to, to take the blood to the altar to cover the sins of the people. But they had to do this over and over and over again. And it was never good enough to completely remove sin forever. Jesus had to be fully human so that he could take on that punishment for us. If he just comes as a spirit, then he's not really dying the death that we deserved to die. 
But by coming as a human, he is able to take our place, to, to take our death for us and replace us. And to take on the wrath of God in our place. He became a man so that he'd be able to sympathize with us, right? It says that, that Jesus experienced everything so that it's not like he can't, he can't relate to us. All those things that we were talking about, he felt, he felt hungry, he felt happy, he felt sad. He's able to relate to us because he was like us. He is able to sympathize with us. So he took on he took on this form and, and I don't want us to overlook the fact that in a sense this was like a demotion for him, right? I mean look back at Philippians two, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Right? Like, he's saying, this is a good thing. <laughs> it's good to be with God in heaven. It's good to be sitting in heaven and not feeling all of the pain and, and slow decay that we feel to have to exist within a broken and sinful creation. Right? It, it, it doesn't sound like it's better here for us than it was where he was. But he didn't think that was a thing worth holding on to but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus humbled himself to become a man. Like, so much of what we're often tempted to do is to make so much of ourselves, build ourselves up. Look what I can do. Look at this thing that I'm able to accomplish. Look at how important I am. Look at how bad everything is around me. Man, I wish all that would stop. It's not fair that this thing is happening to me because I am so worth it and so valuable. And But what did we talk about last week? God doesn't need us. We are, we are small and weak compared to him. And yet Jesus was willing to set aside all of that, all that he was, add on that smallness, that, that humility that comes with becoming like the rest of us. Because he was going to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because he understood that a perfect sacrifice was required for us to actually be added back into the family of God. For, for, for that divide that had been created as sin entered the world, for that to be removed, for us to be able to be in the presence of God again. He understood that he was the perfect answer. We talked about it all the time. Genesis 3.15. Right? That, that there was always a plan that God was going to accomplish to bring about redemption after the fall. And Jesus understood, that's me. I'm the only one who can do that. How do we know he's the only one who can do that? Because that's the way it happened. Because that's the way it happened. That means that that was God's plan being played out. He was the only solution. So he humbled himself, becoming 
obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's not, it's not enough that he came down here and had to live with us and be limited and not be able to be everywhere and outside of time and all of these things. It's not enough. He also came here to die. And not just die, but die the worst death that could be died. The most excruciating way that you could be killed. The most humiliating way that you could be killed. The most offensive way that you, can, you, can, you could have killed someone. He came and he took on that death. That doesn't necessarily register with us because it's not like we just see crucifixions here, uh, you know, riding down the road. Oh, look, they've got a few new crucifixions up on the side of the road today. But that was what the culture would understand. So when, when he says, to the point of death, even death on a cross, what he's saying is, you guys know how bad this is. That's what he was willing to do. Why was he willing to do that? Because it was the only way. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. What does this build to? Highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Because ultimately, ultimately, his, his, his replacing us, repla- taking our death for us, his taking on the wrath of God on our behalf so that we could be made sons and daughters of God, so that we could be adopted into that family, right? We di- I didn't focus too much on the idea of God as father last week, and I think I missed an opportunity. Because, because when we realize that we're saying God is our father, that means that he's adopting us into his family. We are being made his sons and daughters. And that is a huge deal. And that is only possible if Jesus comes, takes on human flesh just like us and dies an excruciating death on our behalf. And because of his willingness, his obedience to do all these things, we we know that this was a scary thing for him, right? We've read his prayers where he's saying, God, if there is another way, let's let's, let's, let's try that one. And he says, but not my will, but yours be done. Like, I'm willing to do this, but this is not going to be fun. But now God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what it builds to. It doesn't just stop with, he became a human, he came here and lived, he died a death, he went back to heaven. It doesn't, it doesn't stop with that. Yes, that happened. Yes, that is, that is important, but that moves us in some way. Right? That changes us in some way. We don't, we don't just stay trapped in our sins. We're freed from our sins because of what Jesus has done for us. And now God's saying, look at what my son has done. Look at what he has accomplished. Look at him. Praise Him. Bring glory to Him. When you hear His name, be moved. Don't just be like, He did that. Or that was real. That actually happened. I mean, yes, think those things. But when you think those things, don't just stop with, Jesus was a real person who came and died on my behalf. 
Thanks. It doesn't, it shouldn't, it shouldn't stop with that. I know I spent like two months back when we were doing the Song of Solomon thing building that, this same point, but like what Jesus has done for us and who he is and, and what it is that he's accomplished should affect us, should, should overwhelm us, should, we should be overjoyed. Like these, these words, the name that is above every name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, like, there is a tangible result to us understanding who Jesus is and what it is that he has done, what it is that he has accomplished. We're taking po- certain posture. We're bowing. We're, we're, we're seeing him as our king and our Lord, and we're praising him. We're saying things about how we feel about him. We're, we're, we're speaking these words of truth. That, that, that God is writing into our hearts, that he's giving to us in Scripture, these things that are true of Jesus. We're exalting him high above everything else in the way that we act and in the things that we say. Or at least that's the goal. If I was going to kind of say, how are we supposed to apply this? What are we supposed to do with this? That, that's what it is. For those of us who are in Christ, let our actions and our words represent that we know and love a God who sent his son, who allowed himself to be humbled, to be made small, to be made weak, to be made all of these things that we are. Because he loves us and wants us to be back in his family. Let our actions and our words demonstrate that. And, and, and if that's not you, if you're not in that yet, if you're still on the fence, if you still feel like I don't really understand, then understand that all those things that we talked about God last week that are true of him, that, that he's holy and he hates sin and that he's He's wrathful and he's going to punish sin and all of that. Don't miss the opportunity to hear that Jesus is the way out of that. And that we we need to follow him. We need to have our hearts changed by him so that we can know and love and follow him. And maybe you haven't admitted it to yourself yet. Maybe, Maybe you don't fully understand what it is that I'm saying. Maybe you still have questions. Ask your questions. But if you feel like, man, there's something here that I don't get, maybe just like, just go, go for it. <laughs> like, 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 let yourself love Jesus. Let yourself follow him. You may not, you may not fully understand it. There may be parts of it that, that don't necessarily resonate with you yet. But just, just, just be all in on it and be like, I'm going to start praying now that God helps me get all this that God fills in the gaps where I don't fully understand what all's going on here. But, but, but just kind of, in faith, trust that he's going to do that. Because, because this is the God that we serve, a God who loves us and a God who wants to welcome us back into his family and went to great lengths to make that happen. I didn't look at your song list, Nick, so I, but I assume that your song list will make much of Jesus. Um, so I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and let the things that you're saying resonate within you, this truth of who he is and what it is that he has done for us. Let us be, 
Let us be moved to joy and worship and all of these things because we so deeply and passionately love Jesus. We are, we are a small church, but that does not mean that our worship cannot be big. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond. God, I thank you for your son. I thank you for Jesus and what it is that he has done for us. God, I pray that, that these things that we're talking about would not be lost on us. That, that the love that you have demonstrated for us is so amazing that, God, you would, you would move in our hearts, move in this place now, send your Holy Spirit. God, for those of us who are in Christ, that you, you, would, you would move within us to just overwhelm us with joy over what it is that your Son has done so that we could exalt him above everything else. God, affect the way we act, affect the way we move, affect the way we think, affect the things we say to help us best demonstrate how much we love you and, and are thankful for what it is that you did by sending your Son. And God, I pray for anybody in here who is not all in on that, who doesn't understand it, who maybe hasn't realized that you, you're working in their heart right now. Maybe that's the case. God, I pray that you would be at work and that you would be softening their heart so that they could, they could know and love and chase after you. God, I pray that you would um, empower our worship now. Um, just, just fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.